Hey lore lovers, my name's Eric and welcome to the Lorebarian's YouTube channel. With the release of Midnight Hunt fast approaching and Crimson Vow on the horizon, now's the perfect moment for us to explore the history and setting of one of the most iconic planes in Magic the Gathering's vast multiverse. Today, we'll take a closer look at the horrific, gothic-inspired plane of Innistrad, a world where the dim light of humanity struggles desperately against the ghastly and ghoulish forces of darkness that surround it, irregularly bolstered by the divine protection of the plane's angelic host. As with other videos in the Plane Explained series, our journey through Innistrad will be split into two separate videos. The first, which will begin momentarily, is concerned with the characteristics of the plane, its nature, topography, denizens, and important locations. The second, which will be released later, will cover the complete history and major storylines that transpire on the plane. But before we go any further, if notions of lore, storytelling, and world building leave you spellbound, or if Magic the Gathering is dear to your heart, consider subscribing to the channel, where lore videos are uploaded regularly. Alright, time to don our cloaks, sharpen our silver, and recite Avacyn's prayer as we set out to trek through Innistrad's gloom. Let's dive in. A lone, horse-drawn cart plods slowly along a narrow causeway that twists through misty moorlands. The vibrant moon shining in the night sky casts eerie shadows across the surroundings, giving trees, grass, and the distant mountains a sinister aura. Two travelers keep bloodshot eyes open in all directions, clutching the amulets of their church in shaky hands and whispering prayers of protection. The air is stagnant and quiet, pierced only by muffled rustling in the woods. Somewhere in the distance, an otherworldly howl roars. Up ahead, the soft glow of lantern light blooms over enormous wooden palisades and watchtowers. Safety for the travelers, if only they can keep ahead of the vile abominations behind them. No doubt a grotesque host of monsters, devils, and unthinkable horrors. This is the grim reality for the humans of Innistrad, a world where light and dark form an unbalanced dichotomy. The plain of Innistrad is one deeply inspired by the Gothic architecture and folktales of Europe's 17 and 1800s, first making its appearance in the titular set released in 2011. Innistrad's a world where horrors lurk not only in the imagination, but in every shadowed corner or tangled thicket. Evil exists in the forms of rage-stricken werewolves, bloodthirsty vampires, spectral geists, fetid ghouls, and demonic hordes. All hunger for the tantalizing light of humanity, the sweet taste of flesh and blood. And all carve out ranges within which to hunt their prey. The plane's nature is one divided between good and evil, light and dark, night and day. When the sun blazes high in the sky, villagers, townsfolk, and farmers tend their crops, trade in markets, and reinforce defensive structures with holy water or blessings. When night falls, however, humanity becomes the prey. Villagers huddle behind brick and wood, torches fend off the encroaching darkness, and the horrors of the night emerge to hunt. When night stretches for eternity and despair fills the most stalwart heart, one word 
rises above all else. Avacyn. The humans of Innistrad aren't alone in the fight against evil. A winged host of divine angels fly down from the heavens, bringing holy retribution to unnatural abominations. And they are led in the fore by the archangel Avacyn. A being pure of heart and created to act as guardian of humanity, Avacyn, her sisters, and the flights of angels they lead aid humanity in their most dire straits, knocking back the darkness and maintaining a fragile equilibrium on the plane. Devotion and faith bolster the archangels and long ago the Church of Avacyn, an ecclesiastical organization within human settlements, was founded where the devout and pious could seek respite from the hardships of life in Avacyn's embrace. But the angel isn't the only holy symbol tracing through the skies. The luminous moon of the plain dominates various aspects of Innistradian life, including superstition and the passing of seasons. Silver is a particularly precious metal on the plain due to its supposed uses in fighting unnatural monsters, and it's deeply tied to Innistrad's large, singular moon. Astronomers and theorists believe the plain's moon to be composed entirely of silver, and that all extant deposits on the earth fell from it. Also known as the silver moon and the heron moon, it's a symbol of hope, a source of inspiration and divinity. But it's at the same time a harbinger of misfortune, as the moon drives the transformation of the werewolves, the hunting patterns of the plains monsters, and a full moon weakens the protective effects of holy blessing. The moon is also believed to drive seasons and the plain experiences three changes throughout the year. Each season brings with it different beliefs, different fears, different hopes. The shortest season is that of the new moon, a springtime period where hope and faith are renewed. Here, the sun remains in the sky longer, protecting cities from the horrors of night. The forests grow, flowers bloom, and seeds for this year's harvest are sown. It's a season of inner reflection and renewal. The archangel Sigarda and her flight of herons are most closely associated with the new moon due to their connection with birth and purity. Their magic is used to protect humans in life. The harvest moon is likened to autumn. Crop is harvested, provisions are restocked in preparation for winter, and fortifications are reinforced. The moon hangs large in the sky and takes on a reddish or blood-orange hue. The days become increasingly short. Vampires are believed to be at their peak during the harvest moon. This phase is linked to the angel Gisela and her flight of gold knight, whose host is filled with holy zeal. These angels are the most battle-hardened, bringing swift, bloody justice to the monsters of the plain. The Feast of Gold Knight, a two-day period where the sun refuses to set, is a most holy period for the humans of Innistrad, and Avacyn's magic is strongest. Finally, there's the Hunter's Moon, the dead of winter for Innistrad. The sun barely rises above the horizon, the nights are longest, the weather is coldest, and food runs thin. Unfortunately for humans, this is the longest of Innistrad's seasons, and the darker forces of the plain reap wanton destruction. Scabs and ghouls crawl through graveyards, 
Spirits haunt the moors, and werewolves are believed to be at their strongest during the hunter's moon. This cycle is linked to the angel Bruna and her flight of alabaster. These angels represent the blessed sleep, where spirits are carried off to join the ether and become one with the plane. And they're responsible for protecting humanity and death, providing magic that wards against the desecration of human remains. The known world of Innistrad is vast and variable. Rocky mountain ranges stand ominous on the horizon. Dense thickets and brambles provide thick cover for the natural and unnatural. Sweeping plains and farmland dominate large swaths dotted by hamlets and villages. Swampy marshes cling to meandering rivers and coniferous forests are common. Innistrad consists of a large landmass surrounded at various points by deep oceans with strong winds. Tales tell of lands beyond the water, but none can verify their existence. The civilized lands are further divided into four distinct provinces. Gavany, which holds the high city of Thraben, the dense woods and wildlands of Kessig, where the Ulvenwald stretches for miles, the grim interior of Stensia, where the crags of the Ashmouth dominate the horizon, and the coastal province of Nephalia, where the port town of Havengol directs maritime commerce. Life on Innistrad is strongly segregated by species, and each of the five main groups is deeply connected to an ally color pair of mana. Humanity is affiliated with green and white mana, strengthened by community and solidarity in the face of horrors. Vampires are closely linked to red and black mana. Vanity and decadence go hand in hand. Werewolves are strong in red and green. Natural law and ferocious aggression reign supreme. Spirits are linked to white and blue mana, their spectral forms slinking through the darkness. And the zombies of the plane are affiliated with both blue and black mana. The dead are raised or reanimated by devious stitchers and ghoul callers. It's humanity's fight for survival, its struggle with the dark forces of the plane that drive the story of Innistrad, and we'll continue our exploration of the plane with a closer look at the valiant forces of humanity and the angelic host that protects them. For humanity, the dangers of Innistrad are ever-present. Nightfall harkens a slew of supernatural horrors, beings of unrivaled ferocity that lurk in the shadows and hunt humans with ease. The monsters of the plain are everywhere, and much of the landscape itself is inhospitable. Life for humans is short and grim. Due to this fact, there's one commodity that's valued above all else. Safety. The people of Innistrad seek safety in every form they can muster. The dim light of day is enough to keep many predators at bay, at least until the sun falls beyond the horizon. Much activity is centered around daylight hours when vision is unobscured and nocturnal beasts slumber. But even the sun can't resist night's encroachment, so people seek safety in another form, numbers. Human civilization is centered around close-knit communities cloistered within dense towns or villages that are protected by brick ramparts or wooden palisades with watchtowers manned by scouts and militia. 
The Art of the Cards Gavany Township and Fortified Village give us a glimpse into what human communities look like within and the extent of their defenses without. Each night, garrisons deploy along the ramparts to maintain vigil, to protect, to alert for danger. Bell ringers and scouts signal the approach of any monster attempting to attack the town. Travel, when done, is conducted in massive armored caravans with soldiers and swords to defend wary travelers. Wooden stakes and weapons crafted of silver are often carried to thwart advances of vampires, werewolves, and other creatures of the night. Despite their ingenuity and precautions, humans are fighting a losing battle against forces more numerous and much more powerful. Their numbers dwindle by the month, and hope is almost out of reach. Fortunately for the people of Innistrad, they aren't alone in their fight for survival. Even a plane as dark as Innistrad has reserves of white mana, and from them manifest the angels of the plane, winged protectors and bringers of light. Angels have existed since the birth of Innistrad, but their numbers were few, and their powers weren't enough to protect humanity. That changed when the vampire planeswalker and native of Innistrad, Soren Markov, realized his own kind's fate was tied to that of humanity's. That if humans were hunted to extinction by monsters, then his vampiric bloodlines would soon follow suit. Balance was needed to maintain the races of the plane. So Soren created a powerful creature, one imbued with magical strength to protect the people and fight the evils that lurked. One who brought hope and inspired faith among its flock. The Archangel Avacyn, Defender of Innistrad. Avacyn gathered the existing angels and coordinated their efforts to effectively drive back the darkness. She stands at the top of the angelic hierarchy with three flights led by lesser angels, each with a particular mission. Bruna and Flight Alabaster are masters of enchantment magic and protective warding. They seek to resolve conflict without violence and grant humanity the necessary holy defenses required to survive Innistrad's horrors. Flight Alabaster is also responsible for ushering spirits of the dead across the ether and into the blessed sleep. Only those spirits with strong regret, remorse, or rage are capable of ignoring the call of Flight Alabaster. Gisela and Flight Gold Knight are the winged army of Innistrad. They're soldier angels with martial prowess and zealous conviction. The angels of Gold Knight actively seek out the darkness and bring holy retribution upon the vile. They lead companies of soldiers from the front and defend humanity with sword and shield. Flight Gold Knight is based in the Elgod grounds of Nephalia, where they frequently oppose the undead zombies and scabs raised by necromancers. They're steadfast and strict in upkeeping holy law. Sigarda and the Flight of Herons are symbols of birth, rebirth, and purity. They scout and hunt creatures afflicted with curses, predominantly werewolves and vampires. The Host of Herons had a strong presence in Stensia, where Avacyn's own reach was particularly thin. They defended the small communities against the threat of vampiric bloodlines. 
As Avacyn and her angels descended from the heavens to cast out the darkness, humanity found a source of faith and worship. From her, the Church of Avacyn was born and quickly became the dominant theological and secular authority of humanity. The Church of Avacyn, based in the high city of Thraben, is an extension of her being, her will, and her protection. She is believed to be the source of all protective magic, and the church bishops and priests channel that magic to bless and ward against evil. Since Avacyn is the beacon of hope on a grim plain, the church retains much power over the provinces and communities of Innistrad. At the top of the church hierarchy sits the Lunarch and Lunarch Council, the most influential church leaders that deliberate on vital proceedings. Below them sit the bishops who are entrusted with, with religious oversight of one of the four provinces. Next, there are the elders who control parishes or regions within each province. Finally, there are the priests and monks that run the church of a single village or hamlet. Words of worship alone aren't enough to push back the darkness, and so the church has its own sword and shield, the Cathars. Cathars are the soldiers of the church, but also much more. They come in many forms, as organized battalions of fighters, as knights, scouts and outriders, as investigators. The orders of Cathars are the first line of defense, the troops on the ground to defend humanity and snuff out evil. The Gavini riders are the most famous of night Cathars, traveling long distances on horseback to ensure the safety of roads and causeways. Midnight duelists are soldiers trained specifically in single combat against the plains and natural creatures. They know the weaknesses of vampires, where to strike a werewolf, and how best to trap a geist, the proverbial monster slayers. Then there are the inquisitors, church prelates and investigators that are called to gruesome murder scenes and tasked with snuffing out the culprit. They are effective in unmasking a lycanthrope or vampire hiding among crowds of towns and villages. Cathars are bolstered by the magic-wielding sages of the church, archmages with specialty in sun or moon magic. These sages call forth powers to sear demons with white-hot light, to trap beasts in stasis, and to heal or lift curses. They're a powerful tool in humanity's struggle for survival. There's one last force acting for humanity, a large monolith made of pure silver and believed to have fallen from the moon. The Hell Vault was created by Sorin to act as a prison for forces too powerful to be destroyed. Avacyn and her angels used the artifact to trap demons, preventing them from being reborn in the Ashmouth. It was a symbol of holy divinity for a long time, but with the events of the Innistrad block, it was destroyed to release an imprisoned Avacyn and the demon Grizzlebrand. The humans of Innistrad toiled daily for mere survival, but angels aren't humanity's only source of hope. Griffins patrol the skies and guard the cemeteries of many villages, hunting down abominations and undead alike. The heron, symbol of Gavini and Sigarda's flight, is regarded by many to be a force of divinity and purity in times of darkness. The griff, or hippogriff, is a combination of the two 
and a creature unique to Innistrad. Hippogriffs are used as aerial mounts by soldiers, as highlighted in the card Griff Vanguard. And those that draw near a griff are imbued with inner calm, as the flavor text of Hushwing Griff states, An overwhelming sense of calm accompanies the griffs that wheel above the roofs of Gavany. Even with the angels and the church behind them, there are myriad nightmares lurking in the wildlands of Innistrad, eager to slake their thirst on human blood. The grim plain of Innistrad is replete with all manner of horrors, bloodthirsty monsters, creatures of nightmares, and vile evil to make the skin crawl. These unnatural beasts and beings of the night hunt the humans of the plain, attacking them in villages, stalking them in forests, snatching them in fields. Humanity's only reprieve is found within reinforced settlements, blessed with holy prayer and defended with silver. What's most striking about the dark creatures of Innistrad is that despite their opposition to humanity, most of them are born from the very humans they hunt and represent grim reflections of the darker nature of people. Four particular races of monsters are all embodiments of humanity's rash behavior, and we'll begin with the werewolves of the plain. A full moon, a thunderous howl in the night, and the fleeting shadows of a pack tracing through the moonscape. Werewolves are the rage and carnal violence that reside within even the most benevolent heart. Innistrad's wolven hybrids are most closely tied to red and green mana, as these colors best represent the nature of predation and passion. And werewolves are described by Alina, a legendary trapper of Kessig, as an unholy mix of a predator's instinct and a human's hatred. While sun shines, they are meek farmers, skilled cobblers and artisans. But when the silver moon reaches its zenith, they shed their human skin and take on a lycanthropic appearance. We see this in the flip cards of Gatstaff Shepherd, an afflicted deserter. Within each werewolf boils a contrasting dichotomy. They're constantly competing between civilization and bestial freedom, between steadfastness and passionate violence. The denizens of Innistrad are uncertain the origin of lycanthropy, but it's a magical curse that splits the soul in two. One half retains its humanity, but the other is consumed by natural urges, symbolized by the wolf. Many can't trust their own thoughts or emotions, and their canid half constantly fights to destroy their weaker counterpart. Their transformation in bloodlust is highlighted in the art and flavor text of Curse of the Nightly Hunt, which reads, When the moon rises and the bloodlust takes hold, nothing matters but the kill. In their naivety, people of Innistrad hunt natural wolves, believing them to transmit the curse of lycanthropy, which only infuriates the werewolves. There are several families of werewolves, called Howpacks, that dominate the dense forests and perpetual autumn of Kessig. The largest Howpack is that of the Kralen Horde, led by its alpha Ulrich. They traverse the Ulvenwald and terrorize citizens of Lamholt. The second largest Howpack is the Vilden. This extremely barbaric band takes into their wing murderers and violent criminals, whose aggression is only enhanced by their transformation. The Mondronin Halpack is infamous for its massacre and obliteration of Averbrook, 
Keswick's old provincial seat. To combat the superhuman werewolves, humans turn to superstition and religion. Silver is particularly powerful against werewolves and is a mainstay in the Monster Slayer's toolkit. We see it used on these beasts in the art of Silver Strike. Additionally, angelic wards and holy magic is effective against canids. In fact, Avacyn's curse mute transformed werewolves into wolfier, ridding them of the curse, but allowing them to maintain their wolf form. All that remain of the wolfier now are a dwindling halpack, known as the Silverfurs, who are hunted by humans and werewolves alike. And now I'd like to introduce a friend and fellow content creator, Dice Try who runs an exciting YouTube channel of the same name covering MTG lore and color philosophy to give his perspective on the sinister vampires of Innistrad. I just want to say a quick thank you to the Lorebrarians for this chance to talk about some of my favorite subjects in magic, the color pie and vampires. Over on my channel, I spend a lot of time discussing the color pie as it's a great tool for characterizing and understanding broader concepts. For instance, how a shift in colors can make all the difference in separating the ideals of vampires throughout the multiverse. In this short explanation though, I want to focus on the vampires of Innistrad and see how red and black are the perfect pair of colors for the ones found on this plane. On one side we have black, a color that is at the core of many vampires across the multiverse. Of course, it is a thematic fit, but at the same time is a perfect philosophical pairing. But let's see why. Black is the color of self-realization, self-satisfaction, and the notion that I am at the center of my experiences. This leads beings who are black aligned to focus on getting the most out of their lives and can be very selfish in their decisions. And to me, no color fits the vampire better than black. In most cases, the vampire was once human, or some form of humanoid, and so its ties to what it once was are ever-present, even if that aspect fades over time. And yet, the vampire has an inflated sense of self, in that it feels better than what it once was. It believes itself to be so far above what it now deems no more than cattle that it acts with a level of ego that is unmatched. Then on the other side we have red, a color of self-expression, of passion, and unrestrained emotion. This aspect of the Innistrad vampire influences its need to fulfill its desires and to pursue worldly pleasures above all else. So, what does it look like when we bring these two colors together? Well, the red-black vampire, in the case of Innistrad, is one that puts itself above humanity. And even though they claim to have made the great sacrifice for humanity, it's only rooted in self-preservation. Another prevalent aspect of red-black is the absolute pursuit of desire. Red-black, when combined, will influence a person, in this case a vampire, to seek out every pleasure, to live with extravagance, and to delight in every experience. This is reflected in their extravagant parties and feasts, and to a further extent, their enjoyment in human suffering. Red-black in many ways can lead to total self-indulgent debauchery, as we have seen on planes like Ravnica with the Rakdos Guild, and here it's no exception. The color pie illuminates broader concepts simply by its presence, and in understanding those colors, we can then place ourselves into the minds of those that inhabit those very colors. 
Every vampire around the multiverse has different motivations and can utilize the colors present in different ways. In the case of the Innistrad vampire, it reflects what happens when red-black is given proof of its superiority and the ability to act out its carnal desires. Thanks again to the Lorebrarians, and with that, I'll catch you in the multiverse. Bye. If you enjoyed this snippet and are interested in other great videos, be sure to check out Dice Try after this one ends. The vampires of Innistrad were born millennia ago, when famine gripped the province of Stensia. Hundreds died by the day, and hunger plagued all. An aging alchemist named Edgar Markov sought a solution, a way for people to subsist on things other than food. He made a pact with a demon, exsanguinated an angel, and used her blood in a dark ritual to create a concoction that, when imbibed, transformed an individual into a vampire. This allowed people to live on without the need to eat, their sustenance coming instead from the blood of humans. And so... The first vampire family was born, with Markov as its progenitor. In this day, there are four vampire families that vie for dominance and control large communities, tending their human crop. The Markov bloodline commands the most prestige and respect of all families due to its long history with the vampire race. Markov vampires are expert blade masters and discerning patrons of the arts who believe themselves to be the pinnacle of vampiric society. They rule from high atop Stensia's mountains in Markov Manor. But the family was almost completely eradicated during the events of Shadows Over Innistrad when a vengeful Nahiri brought doom upon Soren Markov's bloodline. The Voldaren vampires are led by their elegant and tasteful matriarch, Olivia Voldaren. This vampire family is known to host the most lavish galas and decadent balls, from which they often find their next human victim. They prefer a life of gluttony and vanity above all else. Next are the Stromkirk vampires. This family resides not in Stensia, but within the coastal province of Nephalia, where they direct maritime trade and line their own pockets with undercity deals. Stromkirk vampires have the best magical glamours and wield the strongest mental magic, which allows them to safely mingle in the open with humans of their town. They are led by Runo Stromkirk, who has long since been obsessed with the worship of ancient deities. The final vampire family is that of House Falconrath, named by their mysterious progenitor, who had been a master falconer. Falconrath vampires share many striking similarities to the bird of prey. They are the most brazen and outwardly violent of all vampire families, preferring to do away with glamours and galas, instead finding the thrill in the hunt. These vampires are aggressive and often seek out as their prey humans deeply embedded within protected villages, humans that believe themselves safe from harm. The vampire's grip casts a long shadow on the humans of Stensia and beyond, but the vain species must be careful not to let their debauchery get the better of them, for if humanity dies, so too do the vampires. Now we'll venture through the misty moors and abandoned villages of the plain, where chilling spirits and creeping specters haunt the desecrated ground. The tortured souls of the departed that yet linger 
are referred to as geists on Innistrad. Ghosts of the dead were once granted the blessed sleep and ushered into the ether by the angels of Flight Alabaster and Avacyn, where they merged into the mana essence of the plane. Now these ghosts remain trapped, prevented from reaching their final destination. Some geists materialize due to a strong grudge held in life or terrible regret for actions taken when living. Others remain as valiant protectors of family lines. Some geists are driven to destruction by anger or grief, while others act with benevolent protection. Some, such as the Toppelgeist, exist for their own enjoyment, to befuddle the living. But the trip back from the beyond is quite harrowing. The flavor text of Midnight Haunting tells us that the path back to the world of the living is murky and bewildering. A geist may not even realize that it's terrifying its own loved ones. Geists can appear as manifestations of any color of mana, but they're predominantly aligned to white and blue. White geists are often harmless spirits, tricksters, or duty-bound spirits of fallen soldiers. They're driven to protect or aid out of a strong sense of love and compassion. But occasionally, the spirits of those wronged can manifest as malevolent, white-aligned geists. Conceited or vain spirits, however, return to Innistrad as violent and sorrow-filled blue geists. These geists try desperately to hold on to what they had in life, so they frequent their favorite places or perform their favorite tasks in unending repetition. Those blue geists most closely associated with streams, rivers, seas, and frosts are called Niblis, and they often haunt the mists of Nephalia. A notorious group of geists is known as the Drogskull, spirits of Gavinese militia that fell to a relentless assault of undead. The next group of horrors that plague humanity are what remains of the body long after the spirit has left. Innistrad is infested with zombies, ghouls, and grave callers, more so than nearly any other plane in the multiverse. Its deep reserves of black mana its necromancers with control over powerful spells, and its abundance of graveyards leads to an alarming number of undead. The humans of Innistrad go to great lengths to protect their dead and prevent their rebirth. Rituals are performed by the clergy in the Church of Avacyn, and special cages of silver are often built around coffins to prevent ghouls from shambling out. Seen in the Art of the Card, Grafdigger's Cage. But it isn't enough as ghoul callers and mad scientists alike wait for the cover of darkness to begin their grim task of reanimating the dead. The zombies of Innistrad, often called unhallowed, are aligned either to blue or black mana, depending on the nature of their rebirth. Ghoul callers that wake the dead from the various grafts of Innistrad give rise to the black-aligned zombies. These abominations shamble through towns and villages in a grotesque mockery of life. They're slow, awkward, but numerous and unrelenting, driven by the magic of necromancy to devour the living and raise more ghouls. We see their inevitability in cards like Endless Ranks of the Dead and Army of the Damned. The blue-aligned zombies of Innistrad are called scabs, and they are the product of scientific experiments conducted by necro-alchemists 
to achieve eternal life. Stitchers often combine many bodies of the deceased to make their creations, as scabs can be seen with multiple arms, legs, or heads stitched together. These abominations are similar to their black-aligned counterparts in that they are driven by their master's magic and unrelenting. The bodies that stitchers and ghoul callers supply themselves with most frequently come from grafts, or fields of the dead. These can be graveyards or shipwrecks, or even hanging fields for criminals, and are named by their location. Fengrafts are often murky and flooded lowlands. Seagrafts are where countless ships have sunk. Diagrafts are fields of battle where the dead lay as feasts for the crows. Finally, there exists a power so dark, so evil and frightening, that the humans of Innistrad speak of it only in whispers and hearsay. This is the power of pure malevolence and desecration made manifest in the demons of the plain. Demons are creatures born purely of black mana, and the grim counterpart to the angels of Innistrad. Masters of temptation and deceit, demons often convince the weak of heart or ambitious to perform rituals in exchange for power. These often end with humans being slaughtered and the demon gaining more strength. Long ago, demons were only whispered of, creatures feared but considered myth. With the birth of Avicen and her fight against the other forces of evil, demons once more gathered a foothold. See, the demons of the plain are pure mana, meaning they can't be destroyed, at least not entirely. A demon's physical body can be obliterated, but its essence will once more manifest and it will be reborn. This occurs in the mountainous region of Ashmouth, highlighted in the art of infernal grasp, where demonic hands wrap around a hapless victim. The flavor text states, Ancient evils dwell within the burning chasm called the Ashmouth, ever ready to devour those foolish enough to travel alone. It's a common belief amongst the humans of Innistrad that an opening exists connecting Innistrad to the demon's own plane. What cannot be destroyed will be bound, reads the flavor text of Bonds of Faith, and the magical hell vault was created to imprison demons. Dozens of them were defeated by Avicen and sent to the hell vault, including one of the most powerful demons on the plane, Grizzlebrand. Demonic worship is tantalizing, and the lure of power that demons offer has led to the formation of a cult, a cancer that grows within the Church of Avicen. This band of human worshippers is known as the Skirstag, and they often perform rituals and packs to grant their overlords greater power for a mere taste of it. The remote village of Westvale on the moors beyond Gaveney holds a cult that worships a particularly powerful demon named Ormondal, who has taken upon the mantle of demon leader after Grizzlebrand's death. The unearthly desires and thoughts of demons manifest in physical form as devils. The devils of Innistrad are predominantly red-aligned and represent the chaotic passion and desire for destruction demons harbor. They are crafty and mischievous, breaking into homes to smash trinkets or starting fires to burn down whole hamlets. But devils are wanting in intelligence, often performing tasks given them by their demon overlords. 
This comes to us in the flavor text of Hellrider, which reads, Behind every devil's mayhem lurks a demon's skin. Innistrad is a large and variable plane with a multitude of different environments, ecologies, and interactions. The creatures discussed thus far can all be found in some form across the four provinces that divide Innistrad, but each region is dominated by a certain race. The four provinces of the plane each have a coat of arms and an animal that represents their belief, alignment, or cause. Gavany, a bastion for humanity and bulwark against the darkness, where the Church of Avacyn reigns supreme. Kessig, a dense, coniferous forest that covers much of Innistrad's interior, where human settlements are few and far between, and where the howls of werewolves on hunt reach above the tree line. Stencia, a dark and dying land where gaudy castles support vampiric decadence and where small human villages are attacked to near extinction by the vampire families that rule them. And Nephalia, a coastal province where commerce drives the lives of humans and vampires, but where the cold pall of death has its strongest grip as geists haunt the living and zombies emerge from their earthly tombs. We'll begin our tour of the lands with the province of Gavany. The bright light of day illuminates Gavany. Human activity fills the bustling streets of large cities, and diligent farmers till rolling fields in the distance. When Gavany is bathed in daylight, it's easy to forget the horrors that plague Innistrad and make human life bitter and short. The province is known for its large townships, fortified villages protected with holy blessings that house the greatest human communities on the plain. The glittering jewel of Gavany's crown is the high city of Thraben, home to the Church of Avacyn and ranks of Cathar knights that defend its people. Due to its religious significance, Thraben is a vital symbol of hope and perseverance in the face of evil. And in the flavor text of Evolving Wilds, the famous Cathar Thalia states, Our world is vast, but Thraben is its heart. The cathedral must stand even if the hinterlands are lost. Because of its importance, Thraben is often targeted by darker forces of Innistrad. The Cathars and knightly band known as the Riders of Gavany remain ever vigilant in its defense. Church rules supreme in Gavany, and the land is further divided into five parishes. Thraben, Videns, Whittle, and Ephalon, which combine to form the region of Nearheath, and the final parish of Moorland, which is largest in geographical area. The high city is strategically located high on island cliffs within the Lake of Herons and shielded from evil by three outer walls. Here, artisans craft items, smithies burn hot to create defensive weapons, and the large abbeys act as havens for the clergy and their flock. New recruits to the knightly order of Cathars are trained to fight all manner of evil at the famous school seen in the art of Clifftop Retreat. Nearheath consists of the fertile farmlands, meandering rivers, and thickets that surround the high city for miles in any direction. Agriculture dominates this region, with smaller towns and hamlets dotting the landscape. Parish blades and riders of Gavany patrol the causeways that connect isolated villages, offering as much protection as they can to the humans that are further from safety and closer to the monsters that lurk. The city of Hanware, second largest in Gavany, is the breadbasket of the region and is of significant strategic importance. 
Its battlements are constantly being reinforced, and the ramparts are guarded by the sharp eyes of the Hanwer garrison militia. The people of Hanwer are battle-hardened in the face of ever-present threats from vampires, werewolves, and worse. On the fringes of Nearheath lies the once vibrant town of Estwald, now in a state of ruin. It was overtaken by a howl pack of werewolves shortly before the whole town was raised by a spirit of fire and lightning. Estwald's fate comes to us in the flavor text of Malignus, which reads, It descended on Estwald like a sudden storm. Moments later, only ashes and agony remained. As one travels further from Thraben, the lush fields of Nearheath give way to a rocky moonscape known as the Moorlands, which dominate the largest area of Gavany. In these far reaches, human settlements are few, and the number of abandoned or overrun towns outweighs those still populated. It's here that the cultists of Westvale engage in rituals surrounding the mysterious cryptoliths and in worship to grant power to their demonic overlord, Ormondal. Gavany's bright light of day and hope of a better tomorrow contrast greatly with the grim determination and perpetual gloom that dominate the province of Stensia. The Geyer Reach mountain range looms high above. Its rocky peaks cast shadows on the towns and villages below and act as a natural boundary, separating Stensia from the provinces of Gavany and Keswick. Late autumn has an ever-present grasp on the region. Days are short and dim. Meager crops are grown and scarcity is on the minds of all humans who dwell here. The crags and slopes of Gaia Reach are mirrored by the spiked steeples and turrets of large manor houses and estates carved into the mountainside. From here, the vampires of Stensia keep an eye on their human flock and hunt them whenever their urges require it. Two vampire bloodlines have a firm grip on Stensia and keep other abominations that would kill their human livestock at bay. They are the Markov and Voldaren families. Markov Manor houses the most prestigious and oldest bloodline, whose members reach back to Edgar Markov, the first vampire, and his grandson, the planeswalker Soren Markov. The Voldaren bloodline, led by their matron Olivia, are known for holding lavish banquets and elegant balls, where they choose their victims carefully and drain their blood with refined dignity. Like all vampires, the families of Stensia hunt humans, but they see themselves as noble shepherds and often protect their flock from werewolves, ghouls, and the like. The Markov and Voldaren bloodlines joined forces after the destruction of Markov Manor by the planeswalker Nahiri during shadows over Innistrad. The humans of Stensia live in small communities and rely on their stoic determination to survive their vampire overlords. They've long been abandoned by the angels, save Sigarda, whose flight of herons tries desperately to protect humanity, and where the heron monastery offers hope in the bleakness. Beyond the first range of mountains, a piney wilderness takes hold of the slopes. The Somberwald is a place of natural beauty where many wild animals and dryads live free from werewolves and humans alike. Druids and sages often retreat to the Somberwald for the protection it offers from vampires, and occasionally village trappers come hunting for food. Deep in the heart of Gaia Reach 
a massive chasm tears into the fabric of the plain, where smoke and ash billow out. Below is a burning hellscape where many believe a bridge connects the world above to the realm of devils and demons below. Ashmouth, as it's aptly named, is heavily steeped in black and red mana, and all sorts of demonic abominations manifest deep within the chasm. They emerge to wreak havoc on the living. Much of Innistrad's coastline lies within the borders of Nephalia, the third province. This region is known for its maritime trade, which extends deep into the interior via rivers and estuaries that dot the coast. Commerce is king in Nephalia. Port towns receive shipments from seafaring vessels, artisans craft tools, and merchants peddle wares. But beneath its mist-shrouded surface, Nephalia hides a dark underbelly of crime, corruption, and occult worship. The city of Havengol is the largest in the province. Here, ships are unloaded, smithies burn with activity, and the Church of Avicen has a firm grip on the Elgod grounds, where its clergy pray and Cathars sharpen their steel. Vampires also hold a strong position in Nephalia, and the city of Drunau is run by the Stromkirk bloodline. Its progenitor, Runo, has long worshipped ancient gods of the sea and often participates in cult proceedings. Stromkirk vampires have the strongest glamours and freely walk amongst their human population. Seen in the card, Stromkirk Noble. Theirs is a bloodline of master fencers and brilliant artists. Despite vampiric and human settlements, Nephilia is dominated by the undead. Skaberin and ghoul callers bring forth zombies from the ground, and ghastly spirits haunt the surrounding landscape. The city of Selhof is best known for its necroalchemists and stitchers, who constantly tinker with both life and death. Their scab creations run rampant through the darkened streets of the port city. These mad scientists and inventors often use their tools to trap geists, harnessing their spiritual energy to power laboratories. Ghoul callers and stitchers have no limit of supply, as Nephalia is replete with grafts, burial sites, and dumping grounds filled with bodies of the deceased. The Morkrut is a swampy bog near the coast that is perhaps the largest dumping ground for murderers and victims alike, illustrated in cards like Dread Waters and Morkrut Banshee. The Erdwall is an extensive network of tunnels, sewers, and underground causeways that connects the cities of Hevengol, Drunau, and Selhof. These paths were once used for defensive purposes by humans to survive zombie sieges or vampiric assaults. But over the centuries, it's become a hotbed of criminal activity, where smuggling, assassinations, and bribery take place. One must be careful in the Erdwall, where monsters still lurk, and one wrong turn could spell certain death. The final province of Innistrad is the massive forested wildlands of Kessig. It's a densely vegetated region dominated by wolves, werewolf packs, and nature spirits. Here, the Vildin and Crawlenhorde clans carve out territory within which to hunt and terrorize small human settlements dispersed across Kessig. Long ago, settlers from Gavany arrived and chopped small parts of the forest down 
to make room for new villages, but the forest fights back here, constantly encroaching on civilization to reclaim the wilderness. The towns that remain are remote and self-reliant, and the humans of Keswick have frequently turned to superstition and druidic rituals for protection, rather than the church's empty promises. Ulvenwald, the impossible wood, stretches across much of Keswick's landscape. It's an ancient, primordial forest nearly impenetrable and quite dangerous. The werewolves of Innistrad lay claim to the Olvenwald and much of Kessig, using it as their nocturnal hunting grounds. But horrors far more deadly lurk within Olvenwald's thickets. Hydras, geists, massive insects, and elementals stir the forest trees and give even the werewolves pause. At the highest peaks of Kessig, the forest gives way to rugged highlands where hermits, druids, and witches retreat to find seclusion. This area is called the Natternals. Snowmelt streams crisscross alpine meadows to give the area an idyllic aura. Beyond the knolls and further into the mountains of Kessig lies a mysterious cave named Devil's Breach. Cackling laughter can be heard from deep within the cave, and many of Innistrad's devils emerge from the opening causing many to believe there exists an infernal opening much like, much like that of the Ashmouth, hidden within. Valiant Cathars and Militia station themselves around the breach to hunt down whatever evil slinks through. Despite nature's firm grip around Kessig, traces of human civilization exist in the villages that sporadically dot forest clearings. People of Kessig are hardy and resourceful, forming tight-knit communities that are wary of outsiders. In the tumultuous times of the past century, their faith has shifted between the church, the moon, and other druidic superstitions. The town of Gatstaff is highly devout and filled with religious zeal. They abhor the curse of lycanthropy and go to extremes to ensure werewolves never infest the streets. The citizens often turn on another out of fear and mistrust believing their own neighbors to be cursed. The village of Lamholt is centered in a clearing where forest has been exchanged for farmland. They fight an ongoing battle against the forces of nature that wish to reclaim the forest that was taken. Finally, the once great town of Averbrook, seat of Kessig, now stands as a haunted and vacant ruin. During Avacyn's imprisonment and the rise of darker powers on Innistrad, Averbrook was overrun by werewolf halpacks, its people brutally slaughtered. All that remain are the lost spirits of the dead. This tale is told in the flavor text of Hollowhenge Scavenger and Lingering Souls, which read, After werewolves slaughtered the citizenry of Hollowhenge, other creatures moved in. And the murdered inhabitants of Hollowhenge impart to the living the terror they felt in death. But during the events of Shadows Over Innistrad, determined settlers have arrived to rebuild the lost city. Innistrad is a living, breathing plane, and like all living things, is subject to the powers of time and change. Many of the provinces, creatures, and societies we've explored have changed drastically over the centuries. 
The most recent years have brought about much tumult for Innistrad's denizens. With the initial Innistrad block, the power of the church waned, the monsters of the world grew more powerful, and humanity faced extinction. But then, Avacyn was released from her prison, and hope was restored. Once more, the powers of light and dark became balanced. Shortly after, however, Innistrad's corruption began. The travails brought about the madness of Avacyn and the angels, the transformation of many of the plane's creatures into eldritch horrors, as the lithomancer Nahiri created cryptoliths to beckon the Eldrazi Emrakul and seek vengeance against Soren Markov. The plane's creatures and monsters were transformed by Emrakul, maddened beyond recognition and stained by the Eldrazi's corruption. Here, Avacyn was destroyed, her church caught in bitter internal conflict, and the monsters fought against another tooth and tentacle. It's from the ashes, from the aftermath of shadows over Innistrad, that we once more come to the plain. Humanity seeks to restore itself, to find new religions and beliefs within which to put their faith. But something's happening. The cycles of the moon are changing, and night creeps longer. Once more, vile beasts are gaining power, and it's up to the old superstitions to reclaim the day, to bring balance once more to Innistrad, before humanity is wiped from the histories. Thanks for watching this video on the plane of Innistrad Explained. We'll pick up in a couple weeks on part two, where we'll explore both the history of the plane and the plots and story arcs that unfold, including Midnight Hunt, so stay tuned. Leave a thumbs up if you liked this video, and be sure to subscribe for more lore content. A big shout out to Dice Try for his collaboration. Head over to his YouTube channel to catch even more MTG lore and color analysis videos. And now I want to hear from you. Let me know your thoughts on Innistrad, which creatures are your favorite, as well as suggestions for future videos in the comments below. Shout out to Alex Joaquim for the intro and outro music. References used can be found in the description. Until next time, go forth and explore the world.